You know, I think before we begin, I just I was thinking about something as I've been spending time with uh, Brother David and and Bobby. Now I know that uh, the 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 mission of the church is to uh, is to uh, make the name of Christ glorious, famous, uh, and you know a lot of times uh, we think very uh, uh, strategically or in a militant way, where it's like, oh, you know, let's let's do things um, with a focus and purpose, such as short-term, long-term missions, evangelism, a charity. But you know, the more and more I grow in grace uh, through <laughs> through the gospel. I realized that, uh, you know, what also makes a church uh, is that you want to go on vacation together, you know? You want to take vacation together, you know? And uh, I'm just so grateful that, uh, for me, this is not like a, uh, a, a profession or a job or, or a paycheck, um, but that, you know, it is really a sweet vacation. And so I hope that you guys will continue to think about that as you proceed. Because I would love to go on vacation with Bobby and Vodami. And I would love to go on vacation with uh, David and Grace. So uh, I think that is a mark of, uh, of gospel growth and, um, and sanctification. So there's something you guys want to think about. The Lord has been pressing that on my heart. Like, would you want to go on vacation with these people? Because you can't call them brothers and sisters in Christ unless you want to do that. You know? Amen. Amen. All right, so it's awesome to be here. Uh, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 15, verse 1. By the way, that, that was an invitation, y'all. I like to go on vacation. <laughs> yeah. That was an invitation. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. Luke chapter, Luke chapter 15, <laughs> verse 1. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Through seven. Uh, common story uh, we hear, um, you know, we hear these uh, these metaphors. You know, I'm sure if you speak to a non-church person or unbeliever, and you know, we t- we talk about shepherd and sheep. It's probably uh, weird, right? But in the church, uh, such a, u- a ubiquitous language. Right? It's just like, oh yeah, automatic. You know, default. We know who the shepherd, who the sheep. Um, but it's weird because I've actually never met a shepherd. <laughs> and I've never played with a sheep. Right? Okay. Um, so if you can stand with me at the reading of God's word, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Luke chapter uh, 15, verse 1 through 7. Verse 1. This is the word of God. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled or muttered under their breath, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Let me pause right there and tell you something. In the Bible, when Jesus tells you a story, you're in trouble. Okay, <laughs> if Jesus tells you a story in the Bible, you done did it, all right, all right, you screwed up, all right. Okay, so Jesus tells him a story. Verse 4, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Or, you know, my translation, um, who wouldn't leave 
99 in the open country to find the stupid <laughs> lost sheep, right? the one lost sheep. Uh, and he will look after it until he finds it. Verse 5, and when the shepherd has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Story ends there, snap back to reality in verse 7. Jesus says, Likewise, or just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Amen. It's the word of God, okay? Let me have a seat. Thank you. Hey, um, I know that we're sort of on a time constraint this morning, but we must ask the Holy Spirit for help. Let's go to him in prayer. Let's bow our heads. God, I don't even know what to say to you this morning. I'm in all of you and what you do in these broken vessels, your church, your bride. We thank you that you so loved the world, so loved the world, immeasurably, incalculably, that you sent your one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For you, O Lord, did not send your Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. May we never lose our wonder of the cross. May you, again, Holy Spirit, point us to the Son. And may we, um, if we are dry and dehydrated of, of grace, May you, uh, may you pour grace and living water into our hearts once again so that we may recapture the wonder and the unrivaled brilliance uh, of your love on the cross. It's in your matchless and most holy name we pray all these things. Amen, amen, amen. You know, the, the part of the story that really jumps out to me is uh, verse 7. You know, when, when Jesus ends the story, or the first of the three, right, it's the beginning of the trilogy, uh, he says that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, I didn't grow up in the church like some of you guys. And I don't know, maybe you think that because you grew up in the church and um, you don't have much of a testimony, uh, you're, a little, you're a little insecure about your faith or about uh, your conversion. Um, I would like to talk to those people in this room as well, but I also want to talk to the people who have maybe a radical transformation such as I did, uh, have a, uh, maybe a more uh, a gutter-like uh, and nasty past, and, and then the Lord rescued you from that place. And so you have a, like a Korean drama kind of story. 
like, like me, perhaps. I also want to talk to you. I also want to talk to you guys as well. And then I want to talk to people who are kind of in the middle, you know, kind of middle in the mainstream. So it's for everybody. Because one of the things that I notice about verse 7 is that the kingdom of God is a party. And when is the last time you thought of church, a church gathering as a party? I mean, no disrespect to anyone in this room if you had uh, a wedding uh, without alcohol, right? But, you know, I go to so many weddings now that uh, I am very disappointed it went into dry wedding. <laughs> I'm very disappointed, okay? And it's not because I want to get wasted or drunk. It's just, you know, when, when, when the Bible talks about my cup runneth over, right, it's not Pepsi, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It ain't Pepsi, y'all. Okay? <laughs> and you got to remember, uh, Jesus' inaugural miracle, right? When he began his like kaboom, you know, dropped the mic moment, was when he turned water into wine. So I really look forward to, uh, to, to every shindig, to every festivity, but especially if there's some alcohol. And we're celebrating two people or a person we love very much. The kingdom of God is a party. When was the last time you thought of church? That's one big celebration. We don't. It's about liturgy, theology, doctrine, and these are, uh, these are the bedrock or the foundation, right? Um, it's true, you know. Uh, my, one of my favorite rappers, the Christian rapper, his name is Shaolin, he says that uh, doxology without proper theology is idolatry, Okay. Doxology, right? Glorifying God, praising God. Um, doxology without proper theology is idolatry. So don't get me wrong. It's not just all about having a good time. However, when is the last time you had more fun at church than at a party? Right? I can't think of a time. And so that's why I like alcohol at weddings because a lot of church people are there. Uh, a lot of my former students are there, my current uh, people I disciple. And that it's the right setting, the right punegi to, to have a drink, you know, to, to celebrate. Especially when I know that the two people at the altar um, were once lost and now they are found. I make... Uh, this is kind of embarrassing, but I premeditate and I go out of my way to dance with the bride. If I knew her at a time when she didn't know Christ, if I helped lead her to Christ, if I ministered grace to her in a time of need and desperation, I go out of my way to dance with the bride because I want to celebrate not just the wedding day, but the wedding with the, the true groom, Christ. You know, I once, uh, I once read a story about a guy named uh, Tony Campolo. And in the story, it's a long story for the sake of time. What happens is that Tony Campolo is in a diner in Hawaii. And he overhears a, a bunch of prostitutes, hookers, talking about this, that, and the third. And one of the prostitutes' name is Agnes. And she mentions that her birthday is tomorrow. And then one of the girls is like, so what? What do you want us to do about it? Bake you a cake? Put on funky hats? Sing happy birthday? She was like, and then Agnes said, why you got to be so mean? I'm just saying. 
It's my birthday tomorrow. I'm turning 39 years old, and I never had a birthday party my whole life. And Tony Campolo, if you know anything about him, he's a radical man, fearless and bold. <laughs> he tells, he, he waits to the prostitutes leave around 4 in the morning, because he just landed from Philadelphia, and he tells the man at the counter, the owner or the chef of the diner, hey, can you bake me a cake by tomorrow? And he bakes, and he, and he pays for the cake in advance, and the next day, he invites everyone and anyone to the party. And then he decorates the diner, because he knows that they come in every day at 3.15 in the morning after their shift ends, because he asked the, the owner of the diner, who was also there. And so the next day, uh, everyone's ready. He's the MC of the affair, right? It's wall to wall. I guess prostitutes and Pastor Campolo eating with sinners. And the door flies open, the, the nine women walk in, and they all sing, happy birthday, dear Agnes, happy birthday to you. Her lips quiver and her legs wobble, and she cannot believe what's in front of her eyes. And they all sing happy birthday to her, and then they bring the cake to her, and then she loses it. She loses it. She, she literally just is, is on, on the ground. And um, she asked the chef, can I take this cake with me? And the gruff chef said, it's your cake. Do what you want with it. And she picks up the cake like a newborn baby, like the most precious thing imaginable. And maybe she took it home to show her mother. I don't know. And then Tony Campolo is in a room and it's frozen. This dead silence. And he says, hey, y'all, what do you say we pray? And they pray for Agnes and they pray for her salvation. And they pray that she will leave the, the industry. And then at the end of the party, the chef, the owner of the restaurant, looks at Tony Campolo and says, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? And he said, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for whores at 3.30 in the morning. I throw birthday parties for whores. I'm a church that throws birthday parties for the lost at 3.30 in the morning. Shining Star Church, what kind of church do you belong to? Because I feel like I've grown up in the church now. You know, I've been preaching since a very, at a young, very young age. I've been pastoring at a very young age. And, and yes, I am going to be disrespectful for a second. We have the same problem the world has. And you know what that problem is? It's not sexual morality or divorce. It's that you and I, we party, we celebrate, and we go nuts over a righteousness that does not come from Christ. So many people tell me uh, after they get saved, they tell their church friends, and it's awkward. But when these same people told their church friends, I got accepted into an Ivy League school. I got into a UVA. I got, not that that's an Ivy League school, but you know, I got into a real good school. I got into um, a certain career. I'm engaged! The church is pandemonium, ruckus. But when they tell their friends at church, 
the Lord. The Lord is real to me. I have tasted and I know that he is good. They say it's awkward. There's no party. There's no celebration. I mean, we're just going to have a baptism service in a few minutes, right? I mean, even that's awkward for a lot of people. Why is that? Why is that? I think this is happening in our churches and it's happening uh, in our lives because uh, we continue to forget the cause of salvation is the undeserved love of God. The cause of salvation is the undeserved love of God. And we continue to believe that we made it home on our own. You know, sometimes I do get frustrated why I evangelize, why I share the gospel. And you know, it's my pride. It's my self-righteousness. It's, it's almost like, I got it. I'm smart enough to get it. Why can't you? But as Pastor Bobby eloquently and magnificently explained yesterday through Naaman, it's not your IQ. It's not how long you've been in church. It's not how much you know of the Bible. That saves you. It is Christ. It is Christ. And there's something dastardly and terribly wrong when the church is celebrating something other than the God, how the gospel is the power of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He had every reason to be ashamed to the Greeks and the Jews. He had every reason to be ashamed. But he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. Not it will bring the power of God or it will bring the power of God or it causes the power of God. He said, it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile, right? For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. This is very cheesy, but if, if the father took a selfie, you would see Christ. You would see Christ. That's why Jesus says things like, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. How deep the love of the Father. How deep his love is for us. You know, in today's passage, very quickly, I'm going to answer these four questions. One, who heard that? Two, who says that? Three, who does that? And four, who believes this? And we're going to run through it very quickly. One, who heard that? In this text, we're going to answer that question. Who heard that? Two, who says that? Three, who does that? And four, who believes this? Who heard that? We see in the story today that Jesus is speaking to two types of audiences, two demographics, you could say. Tax collectors, a.k.a. sinners, and Pharisees, religious leaders. But guess what? Not everybody heard him. You know, sometimes when I listen to rap music, you know, people who don't listen to rap music, it all sounds the same. It all sounds the same. Every song sounds the same. But people who understand rap music, they don't... They, they don't just listen. They heard that. <laughs> they pick up the nuances. right? They, they pick up the idiosyncrasies. And they can catch what's happening between the bars and on the bars. If you know what that jargon means. You know, Jesus is preaching about the kingdom of God. 
And only one kind of person heard what he was talking about. The sinners. Nobody else heard him but the sinners. Somebody out there hearing me right now. Pharisees ain't hear him. Oh, they, they, they were listening, but they ain't hear him. The scribes were listening, but they ain't hear him. And Pastor Bobby talked about that last night. Oh, you going to talk about Jesus dying again? <laughs> that part was funny. I like that part. When, 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 when Pastor David goes in the pulpit on Sunday, oh, I know you're listening, but did, did, you, did you hear that? Countless messages, beginning with the Beatitudes on the Sermon of the Mount. And they don't hear him. They don't hear him. They just complain that he's partying with sinners. That's all they talk about, and that sounds just like us at church. All we could talk about is somebody's past or somebody's uh, soiled background or family issues or financial woes. I mean, we don't, we don't mention, oh, yeah, 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 but they were once lost, and now they're found. Oh, we don't talk about that. We don't celebrate that. I mean... That's not what we highlight and underscore. See, who heard that? It was only those who needed grace. See, many of us don't understand this yet. This, the ongoing problem is not your unrighteousness. Jesus came for sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. The biggest barrier between you and God is your self-righteousness. Your bad, good works. And they didn't hear him. They didn't hear him. See, we hear sometimes God helps those who, who help themselves, right? God, you take one step, God takes two. But God helps those who cannot help themselves. This is the good news. This is the good news. Who heard that? And secondly, who says that? Who says that? You know, we know who said it. It was Jesus that was speaking. But when they overheard Jesus telling this parable with the kingdom of heaven is like, they said, man, that's a ridiculous story. That is a Scandalous story. Because think for a second. A shepherd's livelihood depends on his herd or his flock. right? All of his real estate or his worth is tied up and tethered to the sheep. Now you're telling me you're willing to go bankrupt over one sheep. If I have $100 in my pocket... And they're all singles. Don't ask me why they're all singles, okay? <laughs> and I lose one of them. I lose one of them. I'm not going to leave 99 on the table to look for one, okay? I'm not. Even with, I'm going to be, I'm going to be frank. Even with friendship, if one person out of 100 says, I don't like you anymore, 
I don't want to be your friend. I said, all right. That's your loss. I got 99 more. I'll see you when I see you. Peace. Right? I mean, if I have no friends and he's my only friend, I'm like, don't go. Right? Please, please don't go. Right? Please don't go. But if I got 99, hey, one less problem, right? <laughs> so when they heard, when the original audience heard the story, they weren't like, oh, you know, we've romanticized the gospel, and there is a romantic uh, element to it, but we've over romanticized the gospel, right? And it's like, they weren't, they didn't hear it that way. They're like, who says that? And it's a rhetorical question. You know, I was like, wouldn't you? <laughs> you know, it was like, if you had, uh, if you had uh, 100 sheep and one was lost, wouldn't you leave the 99 to open country and go out to the one? And they looked, you know, we say that too nowadays. Like, who says that? Right? Who says that? It's ridiculous. That's why we, that, that's why we utter uh, that phrase. Who says that? Because you hear something, it is so egotistical or narcissistic, right? It's over the top, and it's just a knee-jerk reaction. Like, who says that? Right? People say that to me all the time. I'm pretty arrogant, right? They hear me talk, they're like, who says that? Under their breath. And that's what, they, that's what they said to Jesus. Who says that? Why would you leave 100, uh, 99 to go after one? To go after one. You know what Jesus is showing us in this passage? Worth, beauty, and value are not determined by some innate quality or price tag, but by the heart-wrenching length for which the owner will go to possess it. See, your worth, your value, your significance is not based on some innate quality or pedigree or inheritance, but by the heart-wrenching length for which the owner will go to repossess it. That's called redemption. I have a friend, um, he, he lost his father at a very young age. And before his father died of cancer, he gave my friend uh, a, a, a necklace, okay? a chain. And one time we were playing basketball, we were still very young. And, uh, well, I, he was very young, I, I wasn't young anymore. Uh, and we were playing basketball, and, you know, we like to play basketball until until the sun goes down and at that point it's hard to see you can barely see the rim but we're still shooting I'm sure some of the guys understand what I'm saying that's where guys actually like to bond and while we were ready to go um, he was looking for that necklace but he couldn't find it maybe, maybe while he was playing it flew off because um, you know uh, guys like wearing jewelry when they play sports <laughs> I don't know why I guess guys in the ghetto do at least and he and his necklace flew off somewhere, and we couldn't find it. And I said, man, I'll buy you a new one. Let's go. All right? I don't got time for this. I don't nobody got time for this. It's almost, it's almost 930. And so I said, I'll buy you a new one. Let's go. And he said, no, go on without me. I can't leave until I find this necklace. I said, you expect me to leave you here? 
we live like five miles away. And I said, man, I'll help you look for it. And so th this is before smartphone. We didn't have flashlight. We just looked on the ground, right? And we couldn't find it. And I asked him, so what's the big deal? Why do we have to find this necklace? And he said, before my father passed away, that's the last thing he gave me. I want, his, name, his name is Hyungwoo, by the way. And, and I, want you, I want you to know something about that necklace. It was, it's, it's worth nothing to the world. If Hyungwoo took that necklace to the pawn shop and tried to get something from, out of it, the, the broker will laugh at him. Say, man, I can't, I can't do anything with this. But you know, to Hongwu, that necklace meant the world to him. It meant everything to him. It was worth more than a diamond ring. You know why? It's not because it's actually worth more than a diamond ring. It's because he loved it. Because he loved his father. Why are you worth anything today? because you're smart, you're pretty, you're talented. No, you're worth something today because somebody loves you. It's because somebody loves you. That's the only reason anything is worth anything. It's because somebody loves it. There is only one explanation for God's sacrifice for us. Our worth is not what explains the cross. It is the riches of God's grace in Christ Jesus. It's because he loves us. That sheep is worthless in the eyes of the world. You know why? Because out of all the sheep, the hundred, which is the stupidest? The lost one. Which one deserves to be rejected and alone? The lost one. I bet you all the other 99 sheep looked at that lost sheep and said, that's what you get. <laughs> and we do that. We do that, right? Oh, you like donuts and you can't fit into those jeans? That's what you get, right? Oh, you know, you don't, you don't, uh, you don't brush your teeth and take care of your hygiene and you got discolored and yellow teeth? That's what you get. You didn't combo hair? <laughs> Work at Mickey D's? That's what you get. That's, that's how things work, and that's how things worked back then, too. You are either good and useful, or you are bad and useless. That's how you break down the world, and we still do that. You are good and useful, or you are bad and useless. You know, I get offered a lot of, uh, of jobs, like pastoral positions. But, you know, it hurts my feelings sometimes. But I know it's not really because they love me. It's because they think I'm useful. You know, you guys get that too, right? It's about status. Even when you're picking a wife or picking a husband, it's, it's not about how much Jesus loves that person. It's about how much the world loves that person, their status. So the riches of that person, the, the wealth of that person, it's not how much Jesus loves that person. It's about what your friends think of that person what they look like in the eyes of people. Because you know what my unsafe friends told me one day? This is embarrassing, but, but they told me. My unsafe friends told me, they said, B, I mean, you're not rich. I've seen your bank account. You're not rich. You don't have much money. You drive a Honda Accord. But they said, you can, get, you can probably get any girl in the room 
to give you a chance because you have, you have status in the eyes of people. And that made me feel very cheap, very cheap and objectified and dehumanized because I realized, man, the church and the world are very, are very alike. And Jesus is telling these people that I will leave 99 to go for the one. Who, who says that? Who does that? And that's the next question. Who does that? Some of you guys are aware that uh, when I was very young, my mother and father uh, got a divorce. And they got remarried many years later. But, in, but the cause of the divorce was adultery. My mother cheated on my father multiple times. And we know that in the Korean community, and I hate to admit this, but I think it is. It is accurate. It's okay for the husband to cheat in the Asian, in the Asian culture. It's okay. It's almost expected. But it's not okay for the wife to cheat. It's never okay. If the wife cheats, you kick her to the curb. Right? You dispose of her. You remarry. But if the husband cheats, you just stick with it, right? You grind it out. And so my mother cheated on my father multiple times. And some of these people were his friends. They weren't just strangers. And there was no online cheating sites back then. And, my, and my, uh, my cousins, my aunts and uncles, my family members told my father to, to proceed and, and move on, right? To, to move, to, to forget about her. But my dad did not, and he went after her. He lost everything to get my mother back. And everything as in status. I mean, he didn't literally lose everything. He didn't go bankrupt, but we know in the Asian community or just in the American community, it's about saving face. It's about status. It's not about who you really are. It's what people think you are. How foolish does this shepherd, how foolish is he to leave the 99 and go after the one? And let me remind you again, which one is the stupidest? Which one is the dumbest? Which one is worth nothing in the eyes of the other sheep and shepherds? It's the lost one. That's what you get. And, um, and I know women who have been divorced. And usually the man remarries. And the woman stays single. Especially if she has a child. And the world looks at that woman. Says that's what you get. Either that's what you get for being unfaithful. Or that's what you get for not trying harder to love an unfaithful man, right? That's the world we live in. And my father, um, he went after my mom. He, 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 he begged my, my brother and I to forgive her. And um, yeah, he, he did that. And my cousin still, um, Sometimes when they're a little tipsy, when they're a little drunk, and we're just, we're just hanging out, having dinner, they still bring it up sometimes, and they still say, man, who does that? Who does that? 
Your, your dad's a maniac. Right? He's ridiculous. He's ridiculous. I want you guys to know um, that that when Jesus says um, in verse 4, what man of you, if you have a, a hundred sheep and you lose one, wouldn't he go into the open country and look for it until he has found it? And I, I really thought about that question. And I realized uh, the answer is no. No one. None but Jesus would do that. And I would love to tell you that my parents have a beautiful marriage and everything is good and my mom is so grateful. And No. You know, the beautiful thing about the gospel to me is that God gives his grace to people who will never appreciate it, never understand it, and never really celebrate it the way it should be. Sometimes I look at my mom, I look at my dad, and I'm like, Dad, why'd you even do that? She don't even appreciate it. You know what the good news of the gospel is for those who are in Christ? I have tried so many times to make God stop loving me. None of them have worked. None of them have worked. The cross declares that there's nothing you can do to make God regret loving you. Because sometimes in my pride and ego, I'm like, God, you shouldn't have died for me. I'm not worth it. But that's my pride. That's my ego. There's, man, that's such, that's such precious truth to me that there's nothing I can do to make God regret going to the cross for me. Nothing. I, I, close, uh, I close with this thought in um, the last question, who believes this? Now, there's a, uh, a Christmas song that we're all very, very uh, um, accustomed to singing or hearing during uh, December. And uh, you might know the song by heart. And I welcome you to sing with me because I might forget the words. This guy's name is uh, Rudolph. And Rudolph had a very uh, shiny nose, right? How the song go? Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer. Had a very shiny nose, and if you ever saw it, you would even say it glows like a light bulb. And then go ahead, come on, help me out. The other reindeers used to laugh and call him names. They never let poor Rudolph play any reindeer games. Then one Christmas day. Santa came to say, ho, 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 Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? Then all the reindeers loved him. Rudolph <laughs> the red-nosed reindeer, you go down in history. You know what the saddest part of that song is? After Santa called him, 
and said, your nose is so bright, it can guide my sleigh tonight. The saddest part of that song is, then all the reindeer loved him. I want you, to t- I want you, I want you guys to know something about this sheep. He was not defined by how lost he was, by how far away he went. He was not defined simply by the party. He was defined by the joy of the shepherd. Your worst mistakes do not define you, and your best accomplishments do not determine your worth. It is the shepherd. It is the Lord. The text says that the shepherd puts the sheep, the the dirty, rotten, filthy sheep on his shoulder, and he sings. You know what my father did when he found me after I was lost? He yelled at me. He kicked me. He beat me. And that's what they expected the shepherd to do to the sheep. To kick it. To punish it. To leave it outside and let it suffer until it learned its lesson. But the shepherd celebrated the sheep. There are days that I'm very jealous of my brother. You know what? My brother's kind of the, the crazy brother, and I'm the good son. And I know deep down inside, my father loves my brother more than me. Because it is the wayward one, the broken one, that the father actually has to pay the heftiest price for. Do you see yourself as that lost sheep? Because if you do not identify with the lost sheep, then you cannot taste and experience the joy of the Lord, the shepherd, singing over your life. Let us pray. Shining Star Community Church. God saved you from himself, for himself, and by himself. Salvation is of the Lord. God saved you from himself, his wrath reserved for you, for himself, a reconciled, restored, and radical relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he saved you all by himself. You didn't even know you were lost. I'm not even sure if the lost sheep knew that he was lost. But he was found, and he had nothing to do with it. The grace of God will make you very angry, or it will lead you to worship. The grace of God will either make you very angry or it will lead you to worship. It is only in the gospel that we can be, be humbled without being humiliated and be exalted to the heavens 
without being flattered or lied to. This is what Christ has accomplished. Thank you for your time. I know we have to get going soon, but please spend this time thinking about how the joy of the Lord, the love of the Father, and the peace of the Holy Spirit determines your worth. May the church say, in all the condemnation the world throws at them, I know whose I am. I know why the mockingbird sings. Because I know whose I am. I know. It ain't about who are you. I know whose I am. My worst mistakes do not define me. My Christian life does not define me. It is Christ. So you don't need a great testimony, guys. You just need a great Savior. Continue to pray.